0: Year I met Zach. Big year.
1: Yeah, what a big year for you. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Nothing else happened in two thousand seven. Just Zach and sunshine. We were in the back half of the Bush administration, um, so I think that yeah, yeah, there was like <laughs> a good amount of post-apocalyptic <laughs> fiction happening.
0: Oh goodness, little did we know.
1: Yeah, we were so naive then about how bad things could actually get. (laughs) (laughs) It is an interesting thing I think about with Sunshine is the post-apocalyptic event here is the dying sun and the impact of a dying sun on the climate. And I, I think that the climate worry that we have now as a society, it means that Probably any sci-fi movies for the next, like, 20 years are going to be oriented around our own, like, self-imposed climate change rather than, like, the sun dying or, like, an asteroid hitting us or something.
0: Yeah, we've already seen that with Interstellar, actually, which I also love. Uh, it's kind of similar in, in Mood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, that was us with our tech going going bonkers. Uh, John Lithgow makes, makes a comment about that in the movie. But this is interesting. this movie is about a son dying in like
1: what fifty years yeah, it I mean, takes place in twenty fifty seven so straight fifty years from when the movie came out That's crazy, and there's no
0: reason why you know we're all currently expecting the sun to die out in what like some billions of years from now maybe more I, I don't remember I don't remember which aliens it is but it's a lot <laughs>
1: a lot more than 50. <laughs> yeah a lot more than 50 years. I love the concept of a space natural disaster though. I find it super super compelling. I love the book Seven Eves where the Me too. the moon um, explodes. Um, incredible. I like uh, I like an asteroid movie. Um, I <laughs> like it when people are in space and have to go through uh, asteroid fields. Um, I think it's uh yeah. I think it's great. I think that it is really playing into what makes a space movie interesting is by leveraging the environment, which was one of my larger complaints with Jason X. <laughs> Just one of them. Just of the many. <laughs>
0: As you were saying that, I was like, "Which movie is she gonna say? <laughs> oh, not a real movie.
1: <laughs> <Jason> X. <laughs> yeah, our for Funsies movie."
0: Yeah, what I really like about these space natural disasters is that it forces the characters, it forces the universe that this is happening in to deal with it. Like, you don't get to sit and have a bunch of talks and. You know, maybe next election we'll deal with it. No, you have 50 years to deal with the sun dying out. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, In Seven Eves, it was, was what, a few years, right? They they had to get their shit together real fast. Right. It
1: was like just over a year. Yeah. Yeah. So even worse. (laughs) (laughs) I like it too. And I like that this movie cast uh, an international crew. Uh, very intentionally Um, I know yes director Danny Boyle um, he really seemed to understand that this would be a global crisis and so they're not just going to send an American crew they're not going to send just like a British crew like it's going to be the top of the top from every you know region that's got a major space program I really liked reading the behind the scenes on movies I don't do that for a lot of movies um most of the time there's not a ton of stuff that goes into it and I just find it so interesting that this movie seemed to have so much care and attention put into it not only from Danny Boyle but he had the actors go through all of this kind of like method acting type stuff to really get into their characters he had them live together so they knew what it would be like to be a crew and this movie didn't really do well <laughs> <laughs> no, that really made me sad
0: because I really, really like this movie. It's really my type of movie.
1: I had never seen this movie before and I thought it was so good. While I was watching it, I was like, this movie's so good. How have I not seen this before? Exactly. I the only
0: reason why I knew about it was just looking up twenty-eight days later and seeing what else he had done. And you know, I read about Sunshine, and I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds like something I would love. And I just never got around to watching it. So I'm really glad we put it on our list.
1: It was great. I think it's a really solid sci-fi movie. And um, it is a horror movie. I keep forgetting that there is an element of horror to it. But it comes so late into the movie that you really just get to enjoy for a long time. Um, Just what a solid sci-fi movie it is. It reminds me a lot of Gravity
0: as far as how I responded to it. So I would put it in the horror category anyway, <laughs> as we'll talk about in our Gravity episode. But the the addition of the actual horror of whatever was going on with Captain Pinbacker is a really nice uh, touch for this movie.
1: And you know, that's the thing that people really disliked. When I was reading critic reviews of this, that seemed to be the the point that a lot of these reviewers got stuck on was that the first two thirds of the movie were really this kind of grounded space thriller movie uh, drama. It's a pretty straightforward drama, like there's not a lot of comedy in it um They're just kind of playing if it. Pretty, any. Yeah, they're kind of playing it pretty straight. And then the last third is this kind of bad shit villain comes out, not out of nowhere, but kind of unexpectedly from where the first two thirds went. But that's kind of what I like about it. I like that it's got this w- ending that's really hard to. I'm mean, going it, It's not a pun intentionally, but it is to pin down. <laughs> <laughs> nice (laughs) yeah to me
0: it felt like i don't know if you've ever seen um event horizon but it sort of reminded me of a the the version of event horizon we all wanted um there there is some captain going bonkers out in space and ruining the mission (laughs) in event horizon um but it's it's kind of clunky i think and corny in in that movie which is fine for its own sake but um i feel like this took it a bit more seriously and left us with a lot of questions which i can see being frustrating totally but i enjoyed it
1: i really like things that aren't neat i like i like movies that are challenging and aren't like tidy so i think that it really appeals to that sensibility of mine I read a quote from um, Chris Evans. There's a ton of people in this movie. There, there are so many people who are like huge stars now, who were big stars yeah, in 2007 we should go too. It. Yeah, um, but but Chris Evans, um, he he for a period of time would bring up this movie in particular when he'd be like, "No one watches the good movies that I'm in, like Sunshine. <laughs> people only know me for not another teen movie." <laughs>
0: Right. I When I wrote down, you know, I was, I'm trying to, I, when I take notes, I try to keep track of the characters as they come at me, just so I can have like a quick description of what they look like, because I'm so bad with names. Um, and for, for him, I wrote down, this is just another hot blonde guy from this period of time, because <laughs> I couldn't remember his name.
1: <laughs> One of the crystals. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many of them. They keep making them i know yeah we've got killian murphy who's great Killian,
0: guys not Cillian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> as i figured out we figured it out before the podcast started though at least we did yeah
0: <laughs> that's good that could have been that could have been really bad um yeah killian of 28 days later also a, a collaboration with danny boyle super cool
1: yeah, I, I love that they had done projects together before, um, carried it through to, to this one. Uh, we also had Rose Byrne. Michelle Yao, a.k.a.
0: Santa from Last Christmas. Why are we talking about Last Christmas? <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you have not heard our crossover episode, we were on the podcast High on Film uh, in December 2020. I uh, highly recommend you check out their podcast. They do super fun movie reviews and segments. And we were totally thrilled to be guests um, on our on our friends' podcast over there. So go check it out. It's very totally different from what we normally talk about. It was a good time.
0: Yeah. And so if you hear me calling this botanist uh, Santa instead of her name Corazon, you, you now know who I'm talking about. We also have uh, I don't know his real name his you know his actor name his, just, just his character name uh, Searle. <laughs> Searle is our doctor on the ship and mm-hmm. he's he's been in uh, Fear the Walking Dead he's in uh, Hobbs and Shaw he's a cool guy
1: yeah this movie is just so full of people Cliff Curtis is his name. Uh, looked it up thanks (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i want to give a shout out to cliff (laughs) make sure hey cliff sorry buddy make sure we've got him on there uh yes such a good cast um it only grossed 32 million um which is pretty disappointing its budget was 40 bummer yeah it's um it didn't do great um i really wonder though it feels like a movie that has a, a strong cult following. It
0: must. It's so good. What a waste.
1: Mike was you know? really excited that we were watching it because he loves this movie. And I didn't actually know that. And, oh. and he had said that um, when he heard that we were doing a space season, he was going to recommend to us that we do Sunshine and then found out that we were already doing it. So, oh great! Yeah. Oh
0: man, glad I I could uh, add this to our list, Mike, for you, <laughs> so you didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, I've I've I'm so glad we watched it too. So I think we should uh, get into uh,
1: your little plot summary, Kate. All right, we have talked about it a little bit, but we have a small crew of intrepid scientists researchers botanists navigators and captains who are making a journey to deliver a bomb to a dying sun the planet is in this long never-ending winter because the sun has been dying and their goal is to take a bomb the size of manhattan and carry it through the solar system on their ship the icarus ii Um, in hopes to reignite the sun. While they're en route, they get a ping, uh, a distress signal ping, from the missing Icarus One ship that had the same mission, but failed when it went missing in action. You know, a
0: bomb the size of Manhattan sounds really big. But when you see it, colliding with the sun spoiler alert
1: it looks so small it looks impossibly small of course it is the sun is enormous it's bigger than earth right oh yeah you can fit earth i'm joking like okay (laughs) i was a little nervous (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah it's a little bigger a little bigger than earth
1: yeah, that's true. It's got some curves to it. Yeah, the, <laughs> the bomb the size of Manhattan, when they're on the ship itself and you see how big the ship is going through space, you're like, wow, all of humanity had to come together to build this bomb uh, to, to reignite the sun. And then as the ship is approaching the sun, you're like, there's no way this thing's going to do anything. That's what I thought, at least. You know, it's so small. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> me too. You hear them at one point say, oh, this is all the resources we have. This is it. This one and Icarus 1 are it. And I'm like, really? That's
1: that's what we're hinging on, I guess. All right. All right. I'll buy it. I have, I have to imagine that with the sun dying over this period of time to a degree that it looks like harbors, you know, oceans are starting to freeze over. There must be no food. Yeah. Right. How are how are people eating how people are not there's no way people are surviving this. So I think if you think of like, OK, after 40 years of this happening, how many people are actually left on Earth to to actually try and save and then pull their resources together to make this bomb? It's probably not very. Yeah, many. I,
0: I have to imagine everybody's living on a canned food diet, which is no fun.
1: Right. And I think that this is so good for st- sci-fi. I think that having these themes of how do people survive in whatever the future is laying out for us is a, a theme that I'm really enjoying in this season. You know, just what does the tech look like 50 years from now or 500 years from now if you're in Jason X? <laughs> how do how do people travel through space? What What are the conditions of Earth? And a lot of these movies do have it as an axiom that people have fled to space because the planet is dying for some reason or another. And in this instance it's just that the sun is dying and and it's um killing the planet.
0: I have to imagine that garden on the ship was a real treat for these folks who otherwise would be eating canned food and uh
1: pickles, basically pickles and canned food their whole rest of their lives. I loved Corazon's greenhouse. It was probably my favorite part of the set design this just beautiful lush little jungle in in a room in the ship to to make them oxygen so they could actually survive the journey there and back hopefully yeah if if coming
0: back is even an option um it is my favorite room on that ship i was just like i would never leave this room if i could if i was on this trip it's so lovely in there
1: it feels like home. I wonder if they need to keep it, like, isolated. Like, they're, like, reserving oxygen and they don't want someone in there, like, huffing up all the spare oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> but it is quite lovely. And Corazon is so um, gentle with it. You know, she she really cares for that garden. And I think it's because they've, maybe because also they've been on board this ship for 16 months They've, it's a long long journey to the sun
0: yeah no kidding and they look like they've been on board for 16 months
1: I like it I like uh, man I love space movies um because I like it when people are on these long haul trips and I'm sure when they started they're all in their like NASA uniforms and they've all got their hair combed and then we like cut to them you know a year and a half later and They're all shaggy and in their comfy clothes, (laughs) just trying to live. Oh
0: right, yeah. Because originally I wrote down "man with beard," and then next on the list I wrote down like towards the bottom of my list I was like, "Oh, there's that Chris, you know, hot guy, blonde guy." And then I, when I rewatched this, because you know me, I watched this three times before we recorded. I was, I was like, "Oh, that's Chris Evans. That's the same person."
1: (laughs) He does look (laughs) very different.
0: Yeah, his hair's super dark. It threw me off.
1: Yeah, he uh yeah, he actually cuts his hair, which I thought was was pretty funny, especially cuz everyone else like didn't they didn't bother. But he gets told once to cut his hair and he goes and does it.
0: Yeah, he's really his vibe is just get it done, do what I need to do. He's very like resolved to this mission and he's very steadfast, I guess as a character. Um
1: Yeah, his steadfastness is so interesting to me because I think this little capsule that they're in really pull like emphasizes the psychology of each of the characters. Like um, Chris Evans, his character's name is Mace. He is this very even keeled character. He is um, very resolute. You know, we have a job to do. We're gonna get this job done. Um, we have Searle who is the doctor slash psychologist on the ship and uh, he's obsessed with the sun and I love that his character just like loves going onto the observation deck and and viewing the sun from that platform. Just the idea that when they were building this ship that they built an observation deck to look at the sun is just so like small and human and I just love it so much.
0: Yeah, they, I'm assuming they also did it for the vitamin D, right? Because the rest of the ship is not, it does not have access to the sun. There's a huge shield blocking the sun's rays because of how close they get to the sun. It, it'll, it'll, it would fry them. So they do have this nice little spot to have a tiny window of, of sunlight to come in and, and get their vitamin D. And they get to uh, adjust the filter. So it's sort of like a, a giant pane of sunglasses that they can control how much sun comes in and out. And he bumps up the sun to, what is it, like 3%? And mm-hmm. it's just blinding. It's blinding. And I, I mean, I can't look
1: anywhere near the sun now. <laughs> you know, it's hard <laughs> for me to imagine sitting in that room. Yeah, they're just so drawn to it. I mean, it's so beautiful, and even though it's dying, it's still so powerful. Mm-hmm. And he's a really
0: nice—he's uh, a really nice foil to Pinbacker because Pinbacker spent a lot of time with the sun, I'd say, <laughs> <laughs> and kind of went a different
1: direction with it. Yes, yes, I think the—the the thing I, I really find interesting about this. Uh, Plot is we have the story of two captains and two ships with the same mission. Uh, we have Icarus 1 that had the same or similar payload to deliver to the sun, that once they got outside of the communication zone, um, just were never heard from. So they just had to assume that it was a failed mission and they. Did it again, and you know humans doing you know doing it again is just um, so incredible to think of them going. Okay, this is really our <laughs> our last shot, so we have to <laughs> we have to pull all these bombs together again. And this crew must be the second best crew, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't oh, you think they would have yeah. sent their
0: best crew out first?
1: That's probably why they fuck it up so much. Oh God! <laughs> They're sending the B team. Oh my god! When we were watching
0: this, Kate. Do you remember how much I was yelling at the TV? You were yelling quite a lot. <laughs> I was so stressed out. Mm.
1: This is a stressful movie. There's a lot it of is mistakes stressful. that happen in it.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we're dealing with humans, human beings. Human beings make mistakes. They they can't help themselves.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and they catch they catch that signal from Icarus One. From what, seven years ago? And yeah, there's a long time. Really, yeah, there's no reason to believe that that crew is alive. And if they are, it, it's, you know, it's not, it's a big risk to go rescue them or do whatever, right? With that ship. Right. And they have this discussion, they have this really intense scene where they're trying to figure out what they need to do this is when I was just screaming at Kate like what are they doing they, are they really asking this I'm like Chris Evans or Mace in this in this scene I'm just like no stop talking about this move on <laughs> what are you doing <laughs>
1: because I am that bozo
0: on earth who needs this to work
1: <laughs> I think if I were a bozo on earth who needed it to work I'd be like there's no way these clowns are gonna make it to the sun <laughs> this is
0: the second crew if the first crew couldn't do it
1: right i know so i can see i can see why they make the decision to go because they're thinking they're not thinking through everything that could have gone wrong they're only thinking about the things that could go right and the thing that could go right is if they have two bombs to drop into the sun which who even knows what that would do they don't really get into the details of what supercharging the sun would look like but I kind of get it because the thing, I don't agree with their order, though. I think that maybe they should have tried to drop the bomb that they had. And if it didn't work, then route to Icarus 1, pick up their bomb and and try their bomb. You know, that's that's probably what they should have done.
0: I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why are they going at this this way? It seems so futile and risky it's just you know you don't know what's wrong with that ship you don't know if anything still works you don't know if the bomb is is functional you just don't know anything it's so it it was so maddening when they decide (laughs) to go for Icarus
1: 1 (laughs) let me tell (laughs) you they're they're not thinking it through they're yeah, it's it's frustrating. i I can see their kind of like panic in the moment of like, we've just got to make a decision quickly. But they leave the decision to one person. and I feel like they should have had the botanist weigh in on truly looking at how much oxygen they have. There's this kind of underlying sense of them feeling like maybe they're not going to make it anyway. So if they don't have enough resources to get back to earth, what does it really matter? But I feel like those are things that they needed to consider.
0: Yeah, they you, you can see between the different characters how some of them are really leaning into this immediate humanity that they're being faced with. Do we rescue our comrades from this other ship? Do we do we just give up? Um and and I I think that's uh, Rose Byrne's character kind of leans into that a bit a bit more than the others. And then there's the other side of the crew that's like, hey, this is this is our mission. We cannot fuck this up or we lose humanity entirely. And that's Mace is the opposite spectrum of that in this movie.
1: And they leave it in the hands of the intellectual. Mm-hmm. they make a decision to say our our physicist needs to make the call and the scene of him trying to make his decision where he's having them he's having like a basically like an ai run models over and over and over again with the models kind of stalling out and then him like throwing his hands up in the air and going it's a coin toss <laughs> it's a 50/50 oh, chance man. i was like Wouldn't you want to err on the side of caution then? (laughs) I was like, what is your math here?
0: There are so many unknowns with this ship. Why would you choose it? But then he goes, you know, he says something about how once you get close enough to the sun, time and space stop functioning the way you expect to anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's going to happen with the other ship too, buddy she's right. Louise, why? Yeah. Ugh, God, Kate.
1: Yeah, who knows if they had dropped their bomb and it didn't work or if their bomb is just, like, partially detached from them, just waiting to go off. So many things could have gone wrong. And i the, <laughs> that's really the, like, overarching, like, thesis of, like, the whole middle of the movie as just, like, anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. Yeah, because immediately
0: something goes wrong.
1: <laughs> they make the call. Yeah, they make the call to go find the Icarus 1, which, just pausing for a second, on the names of these ships, the Icarus 1, and then they name the second one the Icarus 2. <laughs> it's so like, they, it's so fatalistic. I mean, they did that with Apollo, right?
0: You know, there's several of Apollo missions that went out into space, and they're all named Apollo, Apollo 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I, I'm wondering if the name has more to do with the mission itself um, interesting fact about the, the term the name Icarus it's a, it's a Greek, Greek uh, myth about this dude who uh, wanted to escape Crete and uh, flew too close to the sun and so his wings melted
1: yeah and then he so, died uh, that's what I mean yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I mean it, it's, a, it's a terrible name to begin with it's not terrible it makes sense it has to do with the sun I guess and i guess they do know they're going to lose the ship but the fact that they name the second one icarus to me makes makes a little bit of sense
1: i just like struggle with it i think it's <laughs> it's so hard because they have to live in this constant balance of knowing that the odds of them dying in one way or another on this mission are inevitable but they have to they have to believe at the same time that they're going to survive. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep doing the things that they're doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're, this this uh, movie is really about hope, you know, and, and you really watch their hope deteriorate, but not just deteriorate, but sort of morph into different forms. You know, they, they start out thinking, we're going to make it. You know, we have enough oxygen to get most of the way back. And uh they're sending their letters um with with some glimmer of hope. Uh we get to see Kappa send his and he kinda leaves it in the in the air. He kinda leaves it hanging whether or not he's coming back. Um and I think hope is also what drove them to Icarus to go see if there was um Maybe maybe not so much the crew for all of them to see if the crew was alive, but, you know, hey, we, we really have a shot with two bombs. We can really make this work. We can come home. And as everything starts to, everything compounds, their hope just turns completely to, well, can we even finish the mission?
1: <laughs> they start setting more and more realistic goals <laughs> until the bar is, like, on the ground. Because then they get to a point where they're like, well, how much oxygen do we have? to make it through the next like twelve hours. You know, like they're getting to they start getting to that point. It's I think the saddest is Trey. I think that seeing the turn in his character. So Trey is um one of our navigators and they make the decision as a crew, um Mace not willingly to divert their course to Icarus one. And so everyone goes to sleep and Trey changes course and he doesn't um, think to adjust the shields that that are, excuse me, he doesn't adjust the shields that are protecting them from the full force of the sun's rays. Trey does a very human thing. He makes a
0: mistake. And it just spirals out of control after that. It's sort of like one of those commercials where there's a new medicine out and they're like, it'll cure this one thing that you have, but here's all the side effects, including death and rectal bleeding and <laughs> cancer, whatever. Like, ugh, God, this decision just unravels after Trey screws up. He forgets to change some degree, right? And that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now they've lost
0: communication.
1: The shields are all fucked up. Yeah, they wake up because there's this like horrible like groaning and like wailing of the ship. Like the ship itself, the metal of the ship itself, like being exposed to the sun immediately starts like warping warping it and changing it so you can hear it shifting. And the outside of this ship is just getting totally wrecked from the sun. And Trey, poor Trey, he's like, I did the math. I did the math like and, you know, he must have been off by like a decimal, you know, a decimal point somewhere. Right. It it, it shifted
0: like one point something degrees. It was just so minuscule. And oh, my God, that's what terrifies me about space, Kate. Oh, my gosh. You yeah, cannot make mistakes.
1: Everything matters in space. <laughs> and then,
0: you know, I was like, oh, this is why Hal is important. You know, in Space Odyssey, right? But then, then I was immediately, uh, I had to walk back those words because the ship does have a howl moment. It overrides what they're trying to do to get Mm -hmm. to Icarus 1. And Mm -hmm. it make, it ruins the ship even more. So there, it was like for
1: nothing. The plants get burned up. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yes. And even worse than that, they need to send two people out to repair the shields um otherwise it the ship is just going to continue falling apart the the rays yeah yeah, they'll just totally fry um they've lost all of their oxygen reserves at this point because the rays you know ignited the oxygen that they had so poor poor Corazon is like crying as her plant as her beautiful beautiful greenhouse is burning she has to watch so sad so sad and so the crew is, you know, who's going to go out, and Mace is, is so, like, he's like, well, this. well, Kappa, you were the one who wanted to do this. So I guess you're going.
0: Yeah, I volunteer. I volunteer Kappa.
1: <laughs> I was like, nice. <laughs> what a flex. Yeah, you know, and Kappa and Kaneda, the captain, they go out um, to go repair it. And this is the first time we see their EVA suits, which are super <gasps> cool. I got
0: so excited when we saw these. They look like they belong in a rap video.
1: They look so (laughs) fallen. They're this brilliant shiny gold. (laughs) They look like a two thousands like Nelly video. (laughs) Yeah, totally.
0: And it, 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 it ties into the whole design of the ship and the environment, which is to reflect light you know, away from you, keep them alive. But they are, like, sweating. They look miserable in those things.
1: They have this tiny little eye hole to look through. Um, The suits were modeled after, like, those classic deep-sea diver suits. So really big and bulky with this, like, small slit to look through. It was such a cool costume design. I was reading on, I want to say The Verge, and it was one of the top – space suit designs for sci-fi movies. Oh, cool. Like on their all-time list? Yeah, on their all-time list. They had like 15 movies listed and and the the gold suits were one of the top ones.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, I I love that. That was really it was really inventive. It was really I'd never seen a suit like that before, so that was kind of fun.
1: Right. I had never seen anything like it either. And then it's really sad because they go out to go fix these panels and the ship that's when the ship override yeah the ship overrides yeah. so the ship is still turning in the direction of the sun and they got to get back into the ship and canada does a total captain move where he's like i'm almost done repairing this one kappa you go back i'll fix this one he sacrifices himself <sighs> and portray
0: is a mess you know who should really f- be upset at himself is searle I-, I have to say Cyril also should be feeling kind of bad. He's the one that brought this whole thing up when they were when they were discussing whether or not they should go.
1: Ugh. I think a lot of people are to blame. It's it's <laughs> one of those like group decisions where everyone contributed a bad idea except for like one person. Mace. Mace. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I don't. I think that no one person can be blamed except for maybe um, Trey. <laughs>
0: Interesting. I wonder what we'll be talking about later. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So now the ship is fucked and (laughs) once they lose their oxygen, they're like, Well, now we have to go to Icarus one or we won't make it
1: to the sun. In for a penny, in for a pound. (laughs) Trey is beside himself now, not only has their oxygen been ruined and their communication tower been destroyed and some of their protective panels destroyed and their captain Kaneda is now dead um it's just so much for him that Searle puts him on you know a suicide risk and they hate him they just kind of put him out of the picture you're staying over here and you're not gonna touch
0: anything anymore (laughs) yeah he's out we learn how many people need to die now in order for the crew to have enough oxygen to reach, to reach their destination. And that's a dark moment, but nobody is really acting on it. They're just clearing the air with it at this point.
1: There are seven of them on the ship, and three of them would need to die in order to have enough oxygen to get back.
0: I think just to get back, just to get to the sun at this point.
1: Right, right, just to yeah. get the sun, and then they don't have A enough mess. oxygen to get back. That's right.
0: Yeah, so they've lost one block of hope at this point.
1: This kind of, like, resource management c- had come up earlier in the movie when they are debating whether or not to go to the Icarus one because, you know, Cassie thinks that people might still be alive on the ship, and they're all going, it's been seven years. There was maybe enough food to maybe keep four of them alive for right maybe a couple of years you know they're they're doing that math and they're now doing that math for themselves thinking about how how do we just finish our mission at this point Hmm. well they do eventually get over to Icarus
0: one and they uh they kind of fuck shit up over there too
1: (laughs) well they send the four men uh (laughs) <laughs> over onto Icarus One. So it's our new captain, uh, Harvey, who was co captain before and now he is the only captain. Mace and Kappa, who do not have a very friendly, loving relationship. And Searle, who's a big old weirdo. Searle is like now he's really ingesting the sun
0: quite a bit. He's all uh crackled and and uh peeling all over his face. It's kinda gross. But um they notice that there's there's tons of plants. There is food, so that's kind of fucking weird. But everything is coated in ash, like like thick ash, mm-hmm. and it's very obvious what that is as soon as you see it. I think. I, I mean, as, when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's gross."
1: <laughs> yeah, and they. T- I mean, they're wearing. Are they wearing gloves? I don't think they are. I think they take off their suits they're and wearing then they're gloves, not.
0: but they do yeah. have face coverings at least. You know six feet
1: (laughs) (laughs) well they open up the observation deck and they see that the filter had been taken all the way off on their observation deck and they just see the ashen remains of most of the crew it's it's all it's a lot of ash in that room (laughs) yeah and
0: now you realize that they've been like swimming in it, basically. But one member of the crew survives, you know, our pinbacker, and he, uh, he, no- uses this attachment of Icarus two as a as a way to get off Icarus one, and uh, and he kind of breaks the uh, seal between Icarus two and Icarus Icarus one. We don't know this yet, but that that's basically what's happening. So now these guys
1: are screwed again on Icarus 1. This is where right. it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> yeah, there's all of this groundwork laid as they're going through Icarus 1. We've got Searle who discovers these charred bodies. So you're wondering, was this a murder? Was this a suicide? What's happening here? Um, I, one of the other crew members r- realizes that the bomb delivery system in in the computer was sabotaged. There was something in the code that was manipulated so it couldn't actually deliver it. And so that's why the bomb was never released. And Kappa, he he sees on a video screen that Pinbacker had recorded this message. And it's, it's going in and out. It's hard to see his face, but he's talking what sounds like nonsense. And so you don't know yet that pinbacker is still alive these guys you know these guys don't know it but you you get a real sense of something really wrong has gone here this is when we start to get into the horror part of the movie is like okay there's something off with pinbacker Uh,
0: and not to mention the fact that he's uh still fucking alive in this movie (laughs) what the hell is that
1: it's so he's... bizarre. It's so bizarre. Like the whole character of Pinbacker, like how he is, and like that he's alive still. It's he's a really, really like uh, out of left field like addition to this movie.
0: Yeah. And he introduces this element of uh, like religion or otherworldly beings. And uh, their connection to the sun, There's it's it's really strange when you see him. He's he's like not really a man. He's almost like a flash of light. It's, it's, it sort of harkens back to that line from Searle earlier in the movie where he says, you become one with the sun. Mm-hmm. And it literally looks like he's become one with the sun. It, it, and he, Jesus, he's a mess. He looks like Freddy Krueger. He's all gross and burned up
1: right his body is scarred over he's he's naked but the way he, he's filmed is yeah it's like these flashes of light it's like it's hard to know if this is how the characters also see him in this otherworldly like supernatural type character um or if that's just how as the audience we're supposed to interpret him but it's like his time in isolation for so many years on Icarus 1 alone with the sun, just him in the sun, it has just totally warped his mind. But where Cyril is obsessed with the sun and can't stop looking at it or thinking about it, Pinbacker is like transferring that obsession to God and his rants are... About religion and puni- you know punishment and reasons why like he's on this like duty from God, it it adds this like layer to the movie um, with his character. I mean, that's
0: pretty horrifying. How do you deal with someone like that? That's insane. And then he can also flash around, and he's just scary to look at. Um, (laughs) he's fast (laughs) he's he's scary. there are yeah there are a couple of moments where you just see him lurking and you can actually see his body and it's in the background it's far off it's it's something you catch if you're if you're uh, looking in the right place and that was really creepy actually I actually got some goosebumps when I when I saw him uh sneaking a peek on on a Rose Burns character
1: His whole drive is to just stop their mission, and if that means killing everyone on board so that they can't complete their mission, he's pretty ready for it because he believes that God, if God intends the sun to die, then that must mean that the humans on Earth deserve it, and so they're not worth saving. What is this man doing as a scientist? right like how did it happen how did his mind like turn into this over time right at this point in the movie
0: when when we start seeing that i I, what went through my head was oh is this what Killian murphy was talking about you know when you get closer to the sun things don't work the way they're supposed to is this is this something messing with his head is this going to happen to all of them and that that was scary for me to consider that this whole thing has just been Moot from the start, which would be such an awful, awful thing to realize this late in the game. But um, I, I really I really do like his introduction of of God into this at this moment with the sun. That, that's not a new concept. Like sun gods are, are ancient. You know, when back before we knew how things worked, that's that's what people did. They worship the sun.
1: hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. I think that Pinbacker is the is that complicated element in the movie we were talking about, the thing that's hard to gra- kind of grasp because it doesn't really make sense how he could still be alive with the resources that he had on the ship after all of this time. We know that he was able to get from... Icarus 1 to Icarus 2, but it's not clear exactly how and so this concept of maybe things in space don't like close to the sun like space and time they don't operate how you would expect them to. Things are going to start to change like Pinbacker being an embodiment of that, you know, they they can't understand him. They can't even begin to understand him because he's been living in this space for so long. And they don't have time. They don't <laughs> they have time to really figure out Pinbacker. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. They just they need al-
0: to deal with him and,
1: and make it work. Uh, they only realize that he's on board because the ship tells Kappa that for you know there's only five people on board and um, there's not enough oxygen to get them to the sun. And Kappa's going, there's only four of us. What are you talking about? <laughs> and the ship's and like, it, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. i know <laughs> and that's a really i thought that that moment was the creepiest moment in the movie and you just know you're like Ugh. well did you i
0: i i didn't know who it was when i was taking this in my first thought was canada i was like oh, oh he okay. became one with the sun up on the ship and then came back somehow uh, that's interesting that that's like immediately what i thought it was and i think i even said the captain you know to you on the phone yeah and you're like,
1: yeah icarus and i was like oh duh yeah i thought that it was maybe gonna be pinbacker based on what they were seeing on icarus one dude i'm slow it's fine no but, i don't um... think you're slow i think i i was i was like this they're playing this so creepy it's gonna be something mm-hmm. weird
0: yeah and I'm I'm so glad that they didn't do like a weird portal like the sun actually is a god or the sun has its you know its own religious elements that's that's really not what this movie is it's it's just a man becoming consumed by the sun he's he went bonkers
1: I appreciate and, that as well I like that yeah. they keep they keep pinbacker as the wild card element and everything else around it is on the science track, where it's the sun is the sun. Their laws of science are still being followed. It's just Pinbacker is this this creature that's been changed over time. And this is kind of where it becomes not quite a slasher movie, but Pinbacker does go around trying to kill everybody.
0: And he does. He kills Santa. It's so sad. Yeah, he AKA kills her Corazon. first.
1: <laughs> Yeah, she gets such a sad arc <laughs> in this movie. She does. She just loses everything and then dies. <laughs> and and she dies
0: holding hope in her hands, which is a really nice image, but a really dark one. Uh, you know, when she's sitting there, she, they, they kind of show her dead body sitting up, propped up with this little tiny plant in her hands. And I was like, oh, is she alive? Like, what happened? <laughs> she looks alive, but she's dead. She's dead. No hope. <sighs>
1: Yeah, Corazon dies. Um, He's efficient, I will say. He um, attacks Kappa and stabs him and locks him in the airlock. And uh, is like, okay, on to the next person. Yeah. And he
0: doesn't have to deal with Trey because Trey's killed himself by this point in the movie, which is good for their oxygen reserves, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then the engine has been sabotaged by pinbacker it's been pulled out and so mace he he goes and tries to get the engine back into this coolant and this is mace just really trying to complete the mission like you can see Mace being mace mace being mace he's like (laughs) we have to like it doesn't matter if we all die we have to make it to the sun And we're not going to make it to the sun if this engine doesn't work. And so he is trying to shove the engine into this coolant and he gets partially trapped in in it. It's Yeah, this poor guy. I mean, this is where just like things are falling apart. (laughs) It's so
0: terrible. And he's he dies in the most. I don't know what word to use. It's it's like very poetic it's it's heartbreaking you know he dies in this freezing cold water he's 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 paired up with cold a lot you know he he had to uh escape icarus one back to icarus two with nothing but some foil wrapped around his body you know he had some like frostbite on his hand earlier in the movie he's he's dropped his tool in this uh coolant water and we get a taste of how cold it is you know he's he's a mess like his hand looks, looks looks hurt and his whole body eventually goes into this coolant to fix the engine
1: and he freezes to death fixing the ship it's so how, sad how ironic is it that the thing that kills most of the people in this movie is the blazing hot flames of the dying sun and Mace dies by being frozen to death. Yeah.
0: It was such a sad juxtaposition. Um, because in the next scene, you get this really violent, like, hot, excruciating death. Uh, and this is Searle, this is you know, burning up right afterwards. It's, it's the total opposite.
1: <laughs> right. Searle, who get, he gives into it, he voluntarily exposes himself to the full force of the sun. Yeah, because he has to save the the guys off of Icarus. One, such a bummer. It's so fitting of an ending, where Searle has the whole movie. I and I feel like they've done a good job for the character arcs, where their ends meet their their lives in, in a very just way. I think that Searle you know, being exposed is maybe a little bit what he wanted as well.
0: I think so too. I mean, that's how they introduce his character and it was a fitting end. It was just, it looked terrifying. I I mean, I, I'm not enamored with the sun. That looks awful to me. I don't want to burn to death ever. Um, That, that was such a weird element to this movie for me, which was how enamored everyone was with the sun and, and, you know, these handfuls of people who are just like, I'm going to sit in the sunroom and, turn up the heat. Why not? I, I, I hate being hot. <laughs> I hate the
1: idea of burning alive. I love the sun. I love it when it's hot, 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 hot outside. And it's so hot that it feels like my skin is going to fall off of my body. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have to pick the freeze to death method then for myself. <laughs> if those
0: are my two options. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, oh, at the end of this yeah. movie, these guys are really, there's three of them left, right? They're, they are the only ones left. They, they understand now that they're dead. Like, even if, even if they had their ship built, um, they're dead. And all everyone is doing is just trying to get this payload to the sun. Cassie and Kappa have left the ship completely. They're just on the bomb. So they know they're mm-hmm. going to die. Mm-hmm. um and mace is as we know he was frozen to death in the engine room so it's really up to kappa and cassie and they are barely standing i think you you said earlier you know they're they're basically like crawling towards the the end game here mm-hmm. and and that's literally what they're doing they they can barely move <laughs>
1: They but they keep doing it. They have this final showdown with Pinbacker where he tries to um hold them back and he's so bizarrely strong
0: <laughs> as yes. well.
1: And Ooh, we get our nice Cronenberg moment here. We do. Who was this in Jason X? <laughs> right? Okay, so Kappa just he grabs onto Pinbacker's arm and because he's being held, like, over this great expanse, like, where the, like, bomb drop-off is. And he um, pulls, and, like, his arm just, like, comes with him <laughs> as he pulls. <laughs> digs
0: into Pinbacker's flesh, his burned, sad-looking flesh, and just rip off all of it. It's just like you know
1: that the phrase like sloth off. It's like his flesh and skin like sloughed off of his literal bone. Like uh, I
0: guess. Like a really really juicy.
1: Yeah, like a really, really juicy chicken thigh that's been like pressure cooked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I screamed. Did I scream in your ear? Yeah, you did. (laughs) Oh my god, that was awful. But I was like, okay, I guess that's why it's horror. (laughs)
1: I know, yeah. This movie does not feel like horror. And then, like, you get to the last, like, 25 minutes and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, creepy. And then there's this really gross moment at the end and you're like, there it is. The thing that really brings this movie to a close, I think, is a thread that's been woven through the movie, which is how do people approach death? How do they approach this mission? Where they know that it is the greatest mission, it is not only their lives, but the lives of every person on earth. you know what what is the responsibility? like how do you how do you face death? How do you accept death? And I think that the end the end of the movie here with Kappa is a f- nice, fitting way to close the movie.
0: he's really standing in the middle of that you know, space and time flux that doesn't make sense anymore. And he's faced with the sun itself. You know, he's like standing right in front of the sun. He gets to take it in. He gets to touch it before it consumes him. And he has totally given himself over. We're all stardust. It's a really beautiful moment on screen, I think.
1: His face is so peaceful.
0: I don't know how. Looks hot looks
1: hot (laughs) he uh you know earlier in the movie he has nightmares um of seeing the surface of the sun and he wakes up sweating and panting he's screaming in his nightmares and through the course of knowing that they did it you know they see that the bomb is dropping and is going to detonate i think that that helps him accept it yeah it doesn't seem like
0: we get a nice array of people's acceptance of their own fate in this movie. You know, Chris Evans again. He's the epitome. He's like, nope, I'm. This is not. This is this is not up to me. This needs to happen. If I die, I die. He is like all in, which to me feels a little like euphoria. I I, I don't I don't understand. I can't right now. I cannot understand that feeling Mm -hmm. of just accepting death. You know, a a roseburn zen. Yeah.
1: It's a very, it's a very, like, I don't know. It feels very Buddhist to me to, to just be like, I'm accepting this moment for this moment. And I think for some people, they're so understanding that it's a moment that will just come regardless that i think like mace you would just be like yeah i've prepared for this and so it's not something that needs to be resisted it's just another state of being to go into
0: yeah and we get roseburn's character uh who is somewhere in the middle i think she she gets what they have to do but she's always the one saying we have to find a way to help everyone survive we have to find a way around this. You know, when the the group is talking about killing Trey because they need the oxygen, she's the only person who says, no, you know, this can't happen. We need to think of something else.
1: hmm Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of drove
0: me nuts about her a little bit. But, you know, it's very human.
1: Right. It's a very, oh, I'm sure you could alignment chart all of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you can put them on different, like, philosophical, like, bends, like, Mace being the extreme utilitarian, where it's like whatever is going to benefit the most people is the thing that needs to be done, even if it hurts a lot of other people. Um, Whereas Rose Byrne wants to minimize any suffering being done whatsoever.
0: Yeah. She strikes me as a little bit naive in that sense, but also totally relatable.
1: She doesn't want anyone to suffer. And... I think part of the mission is understanding that some some people necessarily have to die in order to guarantee life for everyone else. Yeah, and uh, Kanata understood
0: that. You know, death is a part of this. He he was the first to volunteer, and he did his did his duty and fixed those shields. And it, I think when he was staring into the sun, that was also him just giving himself over to. You know, what he set out to do. Now let's talk about Harvey. Because Harvey was such a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, we, real, s-
1: we really skipped over that guy. Um, so <laughs> Harvey was co-captain. And when they're on Icarus one and the airlock has been blown between the two ships, and they only have this kind of crapshoot of a plan to get back to Icarus two, there's only one EVA suit and Searle and Mace easily easily give it up to Kappa like Kappa is the only one who knows how to manage the bomb and that's it for them they're just like yeah gotta do it and then there's Harvey
0: <laughs> harvey freaks out he is like i am the captain you need me you need me to give orders so i get the suit and everyone just ignores him and i was just like wow this crew just mutinied on you buddy like you can just stand over there I-, I love how uh they're trying to decide who has to stay behind to eject them basically somebody has to stay behind in and- it and it's surreal. but he immediately is like, oh, okay, so I guess since I'm the captain, I have to stay and do that and, and die with this ship. And it's like, well, yeah, that should have been your job, but also, you're a fucking bozo. We don't trust you. Like, you to get no responsibilities anymore.
1: <laughs> right. He does nothing. He does nothing. Ugh. And he just, you know, he and Mace um, end up rigging together these very rudimentary suits based on stuff just lying around this ship and they're like okay it's gonna be under 10 seconds if we time this right (sighs) so we might not freeze to death in the vacuum of space (laughs) Mm -hmm. if we have a perfect shot and mace makes it over but harvey just like he like bounces (laughs) he like doesn't get the right trajectory and he just like bounces off the ship and just like Freewheel, freewheels off into space.
0: (laughs) I yeah, I was happy when that happened. I was like, good, get rid of that guy. And he he just did not really understand his mortality in this mission. He he just refused to accept it, which I don't appreciate. I think that part of you know, you're on some mission like this, you have to accept it to some degree. And he was. The polar opposite of that he was like nope i've been living a lie you know i i've been telling myself everything would work and i refuse to accept that this is how i go out so harvey harvey didn't miss you
1: not one bit i think that that is an excellent segue into our segments
0: Ooh, yes
1: we have so much to choose from this time, I feel like. I know, especially for LVP. I feel like there are so many good candidates. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what you're going to say when I say mine. <laughs> Who should we start with? I can start. And let's start on a high note. I'm okay. going to start with our MVP. Got it. Is that all right?
0: Of course it's all right. Okay. You're such a positive force in
1: this show, Kate. <laughs> My MVP was our OG captain, Kaneda. Oh, RIP. RIP. I I just think he was like the platonic ideal of a captain who was uh, willing to go down with the ship if he needed to. He knew that the shields needed to be repaired and was willing to uh, volunteer himself to go out and repair the shields. And he was willing to sacrifice himself in order to finish repairing the shields so that the, the ship can continue on its mission.
0: Yeah. I think that's super fair. I, I kind of noodled on him a little bit too, but, um, I opted for mace. Mace was my MVP. Mm. And yeah, I think the main reason why I chose mace is because when the topic of rescuing or venturing out to Icarus one came up, he shut it down. He was like, uh no, that's not the mission. We're not doing this. And immediately when he said that I was like, Yeah, duh, like why are we talking about this? <laughs> so you know, he he's not strayed from the mission one iota in this movie. Yep. The only time we really see him lose it is when he doesn't get to send his last letter home, you know, his his uh his video letter and I found that really sad for him because he really just gave up his entire body you know to this mission from the start so he gets my vote
1: yeah you've been a Mace fan this whole time Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and I don't even like Chris Evans it's probably because I've never seen his good stuff (laughs) (laughs) see I'm a big Chris Evans fan and he was not my MVP (laughs) (laughs) oh man so that brings us to LVP and Oh man, we just talked so much about Harvey. I put and I feel so bad for putting this. Which is our navigator tray. Is my LVP. <laughs> I feel so bad for Okay, so I think that even though he really messed up and then caused an accident that like ruined their ship and killed their captain, I I think that he caused the like a lot of the immediate harm to the ship um but I felt such an intense amount of pathos for him because he he just took he just took it all on himself he was immediately so guilty for everything that happened
0: I know and Mace is like yeah he took responsibility <laughs> he's so pragmatic <laughs> about it
1: he is yeah <laughs> I know when he oh. killed himself, Mesa's is just like, "Yeah, good. That's what he should have done."
0: Like, what? We, we need the oxygen.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh,
0: well, I I also thought about Trey. Obviously, I mean, these characters are so complex, which I think is why this movie's so good. But I, I opted for Killian Murphy. Oh. I wanted to go <laughs> to the root of the problem, which is him voting yes to go to Icarus it was all on him sorry buddy but that's your fault I think you made the wrong call I don't like that you made it <laughs> I feel like and, I need uh, to defend him <laughs> I know I know I know but uh you know Chris Mace was right you know when Trey was was apologizing he comes in he goes you don't need to be sorry this isn't you like because this shouldn't have ever even happened so My LVP is a controversial opinion,
1: Killian Murphy. That is controversial. Jeez Louise. (laughs) So many other terrible people. (laughs) Well, okay. I know we want
0: to say Harvey. Harvey did suck. Like when we got to the end of the movie, towards the end of the movie, he was pretty useless. But he also did not want to do this in the beginning, which was the right call.
1: And I didn't pick Harvey because Harvey didn't actually do anything bad. No. He was just being kind of a dick for a minute, you know? And like, <laughs> yeah. like he didn't actually cause anyone to die. He caused himself to die, but like, he didn't, like, he didn't damage the ship. He didn't cause harm to another person. He was just being a whiny little baby for a second, <laughs> which like, yeah, if, I make were, it worse. if I were in space and I were like mad and hungry, I would also be a whiny baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, well, do you have any uh any any notes for me to reconsider my Killian Murphy choice?
1: <sighs> Only that Captain Canada defers making a decision and says I c- I don't want to make this decision. I think we should make our physicist make the decision. And so, I think that that's actually a point against Canada who was my MVP. I I
0: see it as pragmatic. He's just trying to be logical about it.
1: I like mean, Chris, putting the like, decision like on Mace. one person. See, this is the whole like premise problem though, right? Is that they're taking this huge decision and putting it on one person to consider only that one person's issues, not everyone else's issues. It should have been like a yeah. democratic vote. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, know, I can see that, but I also think
0: that uh, Kappa had enough input from the crew at that dinner scene to really know how people felt about it so i really i'm happy that we had this uh controversial discussion usually it's pretty obvious who the mvp and lvp is going to be but this time it was a lot more gray yeah Yeah. this
1: one's more complicated which i i appreciate right what about tech inaccurate tech predictions
0: this was tough just tough for me because I felt like the tech in this movie, as far as its own universe went, made a lot of sense. You know, I, I think it's pretty obvious that things seem really extreme, especially within fifty years. But as we talked about with seven Eves, um other other space disasters of this nature, that's that's when you see the best of humanity, right? Everyone has to come together because if they don't Everyone dies. There's nothing you can do about it. And so I try to give this movie a lot of credit for that going into this selection. What about you?
1: I agree. I I really only had one call out, which for me was the projection VR room. So Searle has this little room space that when people are... A little too emotional. Um, they get sent to the VR room for some prescribed VR time. And it's just kind of like um, a TV projected on all of the walls. And I think it would have been maybe a little more compelling or accurate if they just used like VR goggles. I think that they probably could have guessed in 2007 that we were going in the direction of VR goggles <laughs> rather than a room. <laughs> but that's just like a little nitpick I don't even think it took away anything from the movie it didn't really take me out of the movie just right just I mean everything else is pretty seamless I had considered that as well only because I was like that's a really giant
0: wall space to take up for this but um it didn't seem too far-fetched um I uh I went with the casual discussion method that takes place between the crew and the ship and uh, the reason why i think this is so far-fetched is because have you guys ever used siri it's terrible (laughs) it's really hard for me to imagine that the the communication tech on this ship could be so casual and interpretive of what people are are saying you know we have to be very direct with Siri and even that sometimes doesn't work so I was like I don't know if we could do it in 50 years (laughs) I really don't have faith in this technology
1: they love that trope though
0: (laughs) they do (laughs) but it didn't take me out it was just the only thing that I that struck me maybe I'm just
1: jealous I would love it if it was like that. I try to have conversations with Siri. Um, I have my Siri voice set to um, an, an Irish man's accent, which Mike thinks is demeaning to Siri. And I'm like, they wouldn't have made that an option if it was demeaning. <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. Why is that demeaning? I don't know. And I was like, maybe you're just <laughs> used to her voice always being just like a white lady voice. <laughs>
0: I, I've been wanting to switch it to like British or Australian. I just keep forgetting. And then I I, I hear it sometimes and I'm like, what is she saying? And then I switch it back.
1: <laughs> so This movie was so good. And it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful movie. Um, we didn't spend a ton of time talking about it, but there's some really stunning shots of them in space. The sun. Yeah, there's so many good so- shots of the sun. Mercury passing in front of the sun. Just uh, really pleasant to watch. It's a good, complex movie. There's a lot to think
0: about, and it does keep you on the edge of your seat. And it does have this nice Danny Boyle touch, uh, especially in these really intense scenes with um, the music really pumping at you and and the characters are sort of, like, it it flashes from one to the other and and it's it's sort of a hodgepodge of, of clips and that that reminded me a lot of 28 days later um the end of 28 days later so it it's such a nice movie and if you like Danny Boyle i think you'll like this movie for sure
1: i would give this movie oh i'm i'm just giving these out this season i'm going to give this movie five dying sons out of five dying sons
0: oh you took mine all right i'm going to give it <laughs> i'm going to give it Four oxygen gardens out of five oxygen gardens.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I liked it a lot.
1: I liked it a lot too. Five may be a little strong. I might have to recalibrate that later. No, no, stand by it. <laughs> oh don't my me, gosh! I always to do, your opinion. <laughs> I always do that with movies. <laughs> I do that with chicken wings a lot as well, <laughs> where I'll like oh, rate take a chicken out breakout crossover. <laughs> yeah, take out breakout crossover. Well, where I'll rate a wing like, oh yeah. Five out of five. Then I eat the next one and I'll be like, oh, my God, six out of five. Six out of five. (laughs) So I always have to re re rejudge them. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think I gave Alien five out of five. I I try not to give out fives too much.
1: Oh, you know what? I I did give give Alien a five out of five. And I do think that Alien is a titch better. So maybe I'll give this one four or four and a half dying. Oh, boy. All right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, loved this movie. Highly recommend it. What is our next feature megan oh next week we're gonna be talking twilight zone we're gonna
0: (gasps) come up with a few of our favorite space episodes and and talk you through them our segments might be a little different
1: (laughs) yeah it's gonna be a fun one i'm really looking forward to it see you then This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at NotQuiteDeadPodcast and on
0: Twitter at NQD underscore podcast.
1: Follow our blog for bonus content at NotQuiteDeadPodcast.com. Thanks for listening and happy watching.